What's up, everybody? Happy Masters Week. Happy Opening Day Week. March Madness is over, but the fun continues. And we're just here to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Shamrock Sun. Your new big-ass bottle of sunscreen delivered to your door by subscription. Check them out on Instagram and at shamrocksun.com. And also, it is available on Amazon. This episode is also brought to you by Menard Premium Detailing. The best auto detail service in Bucks County. Check them out on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. And get your vehicle ready for the spring and summer weather. And don't forget, wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify, drop us a five-star rating. Drop us a review. Let us know if there's anything you want us to touch on and how you're liking the show. Uh, And otherwise, enjoy episode 42. Welcome back, everybody. It is episode 42 of Thoughts from the Shade. We are a bit pressed for time on this Tuesday, so we're going to get right to it. The Kansas Jayhawks are your 2022 college basketball national champions with the win over the UNC Tar Heels on Monday night. Uh, locally, the Villanova Wildcats fell to the eventual champion Jayhawks on Saturday. And Coach K, RIP Coach K, his career at Duke, uh, came to a halt at the hands of Hubert Davis and the Tar Heels on Saturday as well. Uh, Bomb, you had a big wager on the title game. Uh, I had a wedding this weekend, missed the Final Four. Uh, I mean, you had the wager, you saw the action. Where do you want to start here? Let's just start with the natty. We can talk about because because everything I want to talk about with the other two games is off the court related. Coach K, his wife, the the prophecy of bomb coming to fruition. But let's just get right to the natty. Um, I mean, what do you want to hear first? Do you want to hear about the wagers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know what the wagers were, but share it with the people. Kind of share. Uh, you know, you weighed some options at halftime. Granted, the fifteen point lead. I mean, just break it all down. So before the game, I talked to G and I said, look, I have some serious concerns. Like, did North Carolina play their Super Bowl on Saturday night? But I thought more about it. I I like the way they looked against Duke. I think Bill Self and Kansas are absolute frauds. You'll never convince me otherwise. They are still frauds. They won the natty. Still fraudulent. Uh, So... Probably about 10 minutes, would you say 10 minutes before tip-off? Which don't even get me started on, like, the timing of this game. 9.20 p.m. on a fucking Monday night. Like, are you kidding me? It's It's got to tip at 8, G. Terrible. 9.10, go ahead. Like, especially, like, UNC's an East Coast team. I, and what is Kansas? Are they, like, uh, Central time or Midwest time? Whatever the hell they're on. But I, I guarantee it. Does it matter? It I don't even think they have TV out there. It's not Pacific time, yeah. But, I mean... I always thought the college football national championship was bad. Like that's usually at like eight or eight fifteen. I mean, the college basketball one just totally shits on that. It's it's horrible. Yeah, it's it's a joke, and, and I also think it's a joke how it was on TBS and not CBS. But and I digress. It was on TBS, TNT, True TV. I don't know what the different broadcasts were. I just flipped on TV at TBS and left it on that all night. 
So about 10 minutes before tip-off, I'm, I'm getting this feeling that I just need to unload the clip on North Carolina. So let me just read you the bets. Um, and this is – I already had money on North Carolina, but I'm sitting there 10 minutes before, and I'm looking at, I'm looking at them in that gorgeous baby blue warming up, and I'm like, this is just too easy. Bob, Bob needs to make some cash. Give me that Bill Self stimulus check. So Bob proceeded to he he put he deposited seven hundred fifty bucks in the sports book. I tried to unload the clip seven fifty on the money line, and I was halted by the sports book. They halted the bomb. They said, "Bomb, uh, your dumbass must have put a max bet of two fifty in there. That's the limit." I go to change it. It says the limit will be changed tomorrow. I go, "What the hell?" So I end up splitting, even though I put seven fifty in there. I, I wanted I wanted an all on North Carolina money line. I ended up splitting it. I put two fifty on North Carolina plus four and a half. I put two fifty on North Carolina money line plus one seventy five. Tip off starts. Kansas jumps out to an early lead. I'm thinking, oh boy, this ain't good. I log back into the sports book. It's seven nothing, Kansas. And I, I just say, you know what? Fuck it. Let's unload the clip. Another 250 on North Carolina money line down seven zip at plus 290. Okay. The reason you placed that limit on yourself like a time ago is for this exact moment. And you still proceeded to empty the clip. Yeah. Yeah. What they need is like they have the 250 limit per bet. But like what what ends up happening is you just leverage this shit out of like a, just a slightly different bet of like the same fucking bet. Like. Yeah, they got to so, cut it on the individual game somehow. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be on the game. It's got to be on the contest, like props, uh, money line, the whole thing. So, you know, 7 nothing. I'm I unload the – so I'm now 7.50 in, and uh, we're watching the game, and, and Kansas goes cold. They go, they go absolutely cold. And we get to halftime. And let me read you, you know, what, what, what this payout would have been here at halftime. And I consulted multiple group chats. I was in multiple group chats. I consulted. I said, do I cash out? And everyone said, no, bomb. Fuck Bill Self. And I agreed. I said, fuck Bill Self. He's a bum. There's no way he's going to coach these boys back into this game. He's a stiff. So here, here were the cash outs. For the bet that went in when UNC was down 7 nothing, plus 290, 250 on the Tar Heels, I could have cashed out early for 685. 73, $685.73. There was no cash out option for North Carolina plus four and a half. For North Carolina money line plus 175, I had 250 on that to win 473 for a total of 687.50. The cash out early was 499.82. So I'm doing the math. I'm looking at all these different bets. I'm thinking about like maybe a $2,000 night watching UNC and Caleb Love and Manic and the boys, Manic Monday. We heard about Manic Monday. Oh, my God. And then I think it was Kenny the Jet. Was it Kenny the Jet on, on TBS? I don't know. He was sitting, I think, he was sitting next to Barkley, right? Yeah. Did you hear what he said at halftime? No, no, I don't know where you're going. Keep so, going. That's when I knew I was fucked. He's a UNC guy. They're up 15. And he goes, I don't think there's a way for Kansas to get back in this game unless North Carolina just turns the ball over, like, multiple times. And we come back from halftime. What's that? 
That's exactly what they did. He, yeah, he, he basically called it. Um, they come back from halftime. I don't know what the hell Hubert Davis talked about in the locker room. Let's go through their offensive possessions to open the second half. All right, possession one, Caleb Love, turnover. Possession two, R.J. Davis, miss layup. Possession three, Leaky Black, turnover. Possession four, Armando Baycott, miss layup. Possession five, Caleb Love, missed three-point jumper. So they came out. They missed two layups. They had a jack three, two turnovers. Those are the first five possessions of the second half. G, at the end of those five possessions, what was the lead? It was less than 10, wasn't it? They escaped those first five possessions with a 12-point fucking lead. Jesus this guy Christ. doesn't call a fucking timeout all night. Are you kidding me? He's more interested talking to Tracy Wilson at halftime. Tracy, oh, Tracy, call a fucking timeout. Dude, I totally agree. Like the 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 courtside interview during the first half when everything was going well for UNC and Hubert was all jacked up. I was, we were texting. I was like, this is like a goaded like courtside interview and then they come out of the half they're turning the ball over they're, they're missing bunnies and you said what the first five possessions they survived they were they they only surrendered a three-point difference yeah. and and then and then like it still continued to unravel and the like the crowd was going nuts for kansas all the momentum was with kansas and you could feel it on a couple buckets where like it was time to take a timeout. And Hubert just wasn't doing it. So, like, I I don't know if if he thought he was playing in the game. Like, the way that he popped off in that courtside interview in the first half, you would have thought he was playing in the game. And then the way he forgot to call timeouts in the second half to stop the bleeding. I mean, I didn't see a jersey on him. But, but Christ, you would have thought he was a player. So, it was just inexcusable. Malpra- I use the term malpractice. It was like a Shanahan or McVay type move with the challenge. Remember the challenges? McVay with the challenges? Malpractice. So, gee, those are the five possessions. They're up 12. Here's the next four. Okay, you ready for this one? Caleb Love missed jumper. RJ Davis missed three pointer. RJ Davis missed jumper. Caleb Love missed jumper. Their first 10 possessions of the half, they scored once. After 10 possessions, they were still up 12 points. They then proceeded to miss their next five shots. And that's when Kansas made the 20 to six run. It was, they were still up by 10 with 15 minutes left in the second half. And he just refused to stop the bleeding. Yeah, no, I mean, I I just said it, but like there was something going on with that side of the floor because all the shit that UNC proceeded to do in that second half with the missed layups, the turnovers, the hot you you kept saying last night the hot potato basketball. That's what Kansas was doing in the first half. Everybody was zipping around uh, like they drank thirty cups of coffee before this game. And I understand there's pregame jitters, but these these are two of the best teams in the country. They've made it all the way through the tournament. You'd think after the first you know four or five minutes, um, they they would compose themselves and play a, a good game, but I thought overall, like the the quality of basketball that was played in that national title game, w- was not good. It, it was really bad, and I think we were talking about it. Like we said, oh, at times this game was poorly played. I think it was a poorly played game. Period. And you said it about that end of the court. 
both teams would get down to that end of the court and and they would like panic and there there were multiple shots in the lane or just inside the three point arc from both teams that were baseball throws did you notice there were baseball throws at the hoop not with like one on the shot clock like they were throwing the ball at the backboard yeah surprised it held up it was uh yeah it was just it was weird like so many four shots a lot of bricks you know it was it was ugly. I, I don't e- I don't even know what else to say. Um, I mean, I, I guess the better team won. Um, Can you say I, that? I mean, I, I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know, man. Because let let's just talk about like an all time like goat move, and I'm not talking about greatest of all time. Like I'm talking about like Steve Bartman level goat. That turnover at the end of the game with four seconds left with Kansas's guard. Running out of bounds, untouched, like he was Jalen Rager throwing the blinker on, illegal touching. Dude, are you kidding me in that moment? How do you have that? How does that happen? Yeah, there were were numerous instances down the stretch, and I I feel like it was this way for for both teams where they came out of a timeout and, and instantly turned the ball over. I mean, Love, I'll kill Love. Love was terrible. Love had... His worst turnover, he was taking the ball up the court. He got pickpocketed at the at the logo, midcourt, in transition. It's like, buddy, you do realize, like, if you see two defenders in front of you, that there's likely three behind you. You realize that, right? Like, I know UNC, they don't make their athletes go to class, but I'd imagine, like, basic arithmetic, he could do two guys in front of me, three guys behind me. So I have to be aware of somebody coming behind me to take the ball. No. No, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I have much else to add in terms of the game. Um, the one thing that, that I did take note of, and, and obviously I didn't get to really Saturday night missing the games, but uh, we talked about the field with the Super Bowl, remember, and how, how poor that how poorly that looked on TV. Uh, I will say the Final Four of the championship court uh, in New Orleans was sick. Awesome. Oh, you liked it? Yeah, I, I like that color, like that teal green and what else was there like purple and orange and stuff i thought it was really good yeah i'm i mean i guess it's cool that they like make it they make the like the colors of the city like the super bowl used to do that with like the old super bowl logos and now goodell went full corporate and just does like platinum and gold colored like freaking roman numerals with the lombardi trophy looks terrible like i do like the theme of the city that it's being hosted in but I got to tell you, I mean, I don't know if it was the court. I don't know if it was like just being in the Superdome. Like, do you remember they came back from the action and it was like there was like an overhead like fisheye camera angle that they came in on when they came back from like a TV timeout. And it was like the producer like thought about that for months. And it was like he had that fucking action shot saved up with the fucking fisheye camera from the roof of the Superdome coming down, doing a spin with the logo at midcourt. It's like, I don't need that. I just want to watch a fucking basketball game. Now, I know, I think we were talking about this a little bit uh, with somebody else, but how would you feel about being in, in the dome? Like, if you don't have, like, primo seats in there, yeah, I'd imagine you got to bring binoculars and, you know, em- empty the checking account. 
uh, just just to sit there and squint at a, at what looked like a few like insects on that court. Yeah, it's not a it's not a it's it's not a basketball arena. You know, they could have played it next door at this this the Smoothie King Center or whatever they call it down there. But they they chose to get the, the NCAA chose to get the bag, and they it's not only that it's not only the view the people who are at the game it's the fact that they play these like it. The NCAA, NCAA doesn't care about the product of the Final Four in terms of, like, the gameplay or, like, someone's ability to, like, make a shot. Like, you know, in years past, there was always this talk around, like, the elevated floor being an issue for, like, depth, depth perception in those stadiums and, like, a guy being able to, like, hit a jump shot. Like, a lot of times these teams come out and they're just, like, laying bricks because of the elevated floor, and it's just different than a regular arena. And then you see our boy, my boy, the guy who – I inexcusably UNC didn't feed the ball to every time down the court, Armando Baycott. He had to do it all, G. Grab the board, score the score the ball, and then he's got to take it. They're down on the shot clock. He's got to take it from the foul line down into the post and try to go up with a score. And he rolls his ankle again. It was a sad moment. He limped off. And come to find out later, you look at the footage. Gee, what did the footage show? Well, the only the uh, the depth perception was not the only issue, uh, you know, with the dome, with the floor and the dome. There was a loose piece of floor, folks, and it gave for our boy Bakit or for Bombs boy Bakit, and uh, it took him out. And you so you he, can see he, it, you can barrels, see it, man. Yeah, he barrels down there, and he and he goes and plants his foot, and the floor gives. I mean. I know a lot of you listeners, you guys might be house guys. You might be buying houses, okay? But, like, one of the things that I look for is a, a, a former hardwood floor refurbisher, installer, etc. When you're putting a hardwood floor down, G, you need a phenomenal subfloor. Is it level? Uh, what's it look like? Uh, what about moisture? Okay, these are all the things that you look into when you are installing a big, beautiful hardwood floor. Okay, and I know these things click together like Legos. I understand NCAA tournament that that whole whole deal. But if the subfloor is no good, what are you going to get? You're going to get creaking. You're going to get bending. You're going to get flex in the boards. And they don't. They did not have a good subfloor. I'm telling you that right now. I'm looking at it as a flooring expert. I did it for two summers. Okay, shout out Thomas Hardwood Floors, Morton, PA. Did it for two summers. This this is not a subfloor we would have built on. No, I mean, the NCAA just acted like a seller in, in the current market, you know, just just throw it together, throw it up on the market, get the bag and don't worry about the customer. Just move on. Um, Slap it together. But like that was the like that. That was one issue with that play. I mean, you said that that Bakit started at the foul line on that play. He started at like the bottom of the the center court bubble that was on their side of the floor. Like this guy had to do everything because you had. Love and uh, who's the who's the other guard? Davis. Davis. I mean, th- these guys were playing out of control, running like their hair was on fire, and they they couldn't get him the goddamn ball in the paint. So he has to barrel all the way down from beyond the three point line, and then he hits this this shit uh, brick or square, whatever you want to call it, a floor, and, and blows his leg out. It was a shame. And and then you got Kansas. They take the ball back down the floor, uh, five on four. You think they get a big look and easy layup? 
Now they just dribble and watch this guy hobble on one leg back down the floor for the game to stop. Now you could say it was like a good look of sportsmanship or whatever, but if you're trying to win a natty, no, you, you do, do that, that shit in little league and yeah, tap you, the guys. You, he's going to, you know what I mean? Not in the natty. Yeah. The, the whistle will blow after you get the bucket and you, and you take the advantage. So that, that, that was just bizarre. And, uh, a, a joke, honestly, as well, out of Kansas after that play. Yeah, and the other thing, I mean, Bill Self, that guy didn't coach them back in that game. Man. North Carolina just gave it away. But the thing I just, don't, I just don't understand is, at what point does Hubert Davis pull the plug on the game plan? So R.J. Davis and Caleb Love end up going 10 for 40. Caleb Love went 5 for 24. And somehow, miraculously, at the end of the game, the ball gets tipped out, to, or no, the guy runs out of bounds, and we get the ball in, and he's hoisting a, a, a ball. It, it, he that kid's never seen a shot he doesn't like. I've never seen a guy play basketball. You could you could look, gee, go to the CYO ranks, eight, nine, ten years old, whatever it is. When you're covered and you're going to raise up for a jump shot, don't you in the back of your mind as like a young kid playing basketball? Realize the clearance you need to get the ball over the defender. Like, I've been, I've gotten shots off. I've not taken shots because I assume I'm not going to be able to get them off. But I've never once, in the course of a basketball game, gone up for multiple jump shots in a game and had them fucking flat out squatted at the apex of my jump. This guy has never seen a shot he doesn't like. He just rises up and chucks it. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing on threes, on on floaters with three guys jumping straight up in the air, kind of uh, obstructing his his view of the basket, and then they just end up being those bricks that are that are getting chucked right at the backboard. It was, it was really bad. What's that? Which which leads to a breakout. So Kansas just flies down the other end of the court. So many layups. We just dump it to McCormick. Yeah. Hubert Dave. I mean. We're talking. We could talk about timeouts. Like, all right, we talked about timeouts. But like, what about what about the matchups? That like, like, how do you leave that kid Love out there the entire game? He he came down with an ankle and he waves off the bench. He couldn't move. For he like was hobbling minutes. for a good couple minutes and they just left him out there. They left him out there. I mean, it was, dude, it was so bad. God forbid you give him a blow. At least bring him in and tell him to cool it with with. Uh... The gunning out there, man. The guy was just shoot shooting away at will. It was, it was bad. I and said I, to you, it looked like he was filming an and one mixtape during the national championship. That's it, what I, that's what I thought was going on. It did between him and Davis and all the dribbling and, and circus shots that were being thrown up. That I mean, you talk about did, did Davis want to abort the game plan? I mean, if that if that was the game plan, then you got you got to look at him, right? Having those guys run around playing playing that kind of ball, it was didn't didn't seem championship esque, and uh, th- they didn't get the win. Now, I think the last thing I'll say about about the game is I think that after uh, Kansas runs the inbounds and, and steps out of bounds and they get give it right back, I I think they drew that play up to get Manic a look in the corner, and yeah. that guy trips on the floor. He tripped. He went down. I mean, there were like snipers all over the place. Um, so it hurt. It hurt. It hurt, Bomb. I'm an anti-Bill Self guy. I have, to date, 
always in every big game bet against Bill Self. That that has been my mantra for at least I don't know the last five to seven years, however long you know gambling became a thing, right? And and got a little more popular and got into it. So anti Bill Self for as long as I can remember. I think that I think I think I'm out. I think I'm out on being anti Bill Self, and and the reason why is I need now to be anti Hubert Davis. This guy choked it away. It was the largest uh, comeback in NCAA championship history. He's now public enemy number one of bomb on the I, college I hardwood. Convert and become a Duke guy. I mean, we played Duke University golf course just a month ago, folks. About four days before uh, Coach K's last last game. Uh, at Cameron. The course was delightful. The people were wonderful. Granted, I didn't have a lacrosse stick in my hand. So uh, I did have golf clubs, but no, just a lovely, lovely campus. Um, I don't know if you had anything to add on, on, on Coach K. I know, I know your prediction came, came to fruition on Saturday and, and it ended and Mrs. K was out there strutting along the sideline high five in the fans i mean any, anything to, to touch on for you on that before i make one one final point for march madness no i mean i'm not going to beat a dead horse here but i just i mean coach k i mean he was he was i was laughing at his press conference with some of the quotes that were coming out of his mouth i mean it was like unbelievable after the game um but no, I mean, I mean, what what do you want me to? T- I could I could talk about his wife coming down on the court seventy four seventy three. She came down, she's high fiving everybody. You know the de- the Blue Devils there. Everybody's taking pictures with Mrs. K. Like, what are we doing here? And then you know the guy who I feel great about, like the out of this whole situation. Now I'm not no longer an anti Bill Self guy. Now I'm I think I'm going to be an anti Hubert Davis guy. The guy whose glow up occurred this weekend more than anyone in the tournament wasn't even coaching. And you could say Shaheen Holloway, new Seton Hall head coach. I'm going to say Roy Williams. That guy was cheering like he's never cheered before. When they beat Duke, oh my God, he was going nuts. It was great to see. You love Roy. You got to love Roy Williams. Sure. No. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on something, though, because. You know, you you were giving it to me last week. We we've got some listeners, some followers giving it to me for the supposed Nova Hockery. And I'm at, I was at the at this wedding this weekend. Didn't get didn't get to see the games. That that's uh that's a whole other story. Uh, my buddy's father-in-law was actually giving it to him at the rehearsal, asking, "Hey, uh, are you gonna get some projectors up for these games tomorrow night in this ballroom?" And uh, lo and behold, there were not any, but. I was checking scores and, uh, you know, Nova falls behind early, kind of gets punched in the mouth and, and kind of outclassed from beginning to end, it sounded like. And uh, so you're kind of checking the score. It's not really improving. They never got closer than, what, six? And they got, and, they got uh, the six with maybe, eight, what, eight minutes left? Yeah. So I'm not a Nova alum. I'm, I'm not a Nova 30-game-a-year uh, regular season game guy. But – it still kind of hurt when I was at the wedding and then with everybody calling me out, I kind of think to myself, well, like, why, why does it hurt? Why, why do I, why do I like the cats? Why, why do I identify with the cats? And, and I thought, I thought to myself, you know why? Because that is a team that is a program that has a coach that has 
an established identity and they're they're very good at what they do. Now, I think about the teams that I'm actually a fan of. I'm a Penn State alumni. Penn State football. What is their identity? What do they do well? I don't know. The combine. Yeah, the combine. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Big Flyers fan. What is their identity other than being a complete joke, a complete dumpster fire? Uh, no matter what changes they make in the last, what, 45, 50 years now, it hasn't been enough. They're a joke. Uh I mean, you could go on about each team in our city. Like, what what is their identity? What do they do well year in and year out that allows them to contend? And and there's nothing there. So I think for me, when Nova's going good, and that's most years, more years than not, like, it's because of Jay Wright. It's because of, like, these kids that they recruit and, and they stay. They're not one and done going to the show, guys. Like, it's it's a program that has an established culture and, and they're very good at what they do. So like, yeah, I, I it's still hurt to watch them kind of bleed bleed out and uh, and take that L uh, just from looking at my phone on Saturday night. Dude, it's such a good point. They they really do have an identity and and you know, right preaches attitude. The other thing I'll say, I heard this this week from a St. Joe's alum. He said, and and I quote. If that if if these Villanova teams, you know, recent, you know, the recent probably uh, what six to seven or eight year run, right, starting with kind of like the teams leading into that national championship, like if they, if any of these Villanova teams were wearing just like the Tony Romo, like Navy starter, like no team, you know how Romo wears like the starter like hat with like no logo on it, yeah. Like if Jay Wright was coaching a team in pennies and shorts that were like the Romo starter shorts and pennies and like had no logo on it, had no affiliation with Villanova. And like you just watch them play and, and Jay Wright's like patrolling the sidelines like this St. Joe's fans like, dude, like how could you not root for them? Like they they play the game the right way. You said it like just off the court. The guys stay. Um, they're, they're always diving for balls. They have they have an identity and the identity, I think. They were really one of the first teams that brought this kind of like really guard heavy lineup. In, I mean, you think about back in the day with like uh, Alan Ray and, and Nardi and all these guys. And, you know, they really leaned on maybe one big and four kind of guards, maybe three guards and a slasher, that type of thing. So they, in my opinion, were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of this this shift in basketball from low post mid-range jumper to three-point ball um, and 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 runouts. So I think it's an exciting style. You're right about Jay Wright. And, uh, you know, even just to get back to Hubert Davis, like how excitable he was in that interview at halftime, I can tell you Jay Wright would have had a toe. And, got, you know, guys coach differently. They're different, different prof- – I get it. But, like, some of that stuff rubs off on your team, and you have to wonder, like, if that guy's that amped, outside of like his normal his normal kind of persona like does that rub off on the players and i could tell you like at halftime if jay wright was in the position hubert davis was in he would have just said look you know we played we played a solid 20 minutes we got another 20 to go uh, i'm gonna get back in there see what adjustments we need to make and let's let's get after this it, it would not have been some you know big thing right yeah if if uh if unc's second half performance was was any indication they uh they definitely took off of the uh, the overexcitement of, of Hubert in that, that first half interview, and he probably carried that into the locker room. But 
just had to address my my thoughts and, and feelings on Nova. Um, you know, you can be a front runner or bandwagoner, but I'm not here to argue. Is it a city school? Is it not a city school? They're a local team. They they do things the right way. Um, so I can get behind it, and if you can, that's fine too. Is that one of the worst arguments? Like, like oh well, these people these people who like talk about the whole like well I'm from Philly and I don't root for them because they're not a Philly school. Like, why don't you just say like you don't root for them because you didn't go there or you went to LaSalle or you know you didn't get in right? Like, I don't understand this whole like Philly thing. I I don't either. I I have no comments. I have no time for it. Um. I think we were talking like I can get behind Nova. I can get behind St. Joe's. Um, I can't get behind Temple just because they're like Penn State's little brother. And like the one time that they beat us, like we, we never heard the end of it. And like I know Penn State's a joke, too. But like they they just have like this Napoleon complex about them that like if Penn State went to the final four, or if Penn State went to the Natty, you'd know they'd still root for a Duke or for an Alabama instead of Penn State. So, no, I can't root for Temple. Um, so that that's just kind of where I stand. Like, I, I'll root. Sal? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really have any, any thoughts on LaSalle. I mean, I guess when they went to the Sweet 16, I, I was rooting for them. But, like, I just kind of look at Nova, St. Joe's, Temple, like, most people that, that I grew up with or, or surround myself with or I'm acquaintances with, like, they – they went to school. I know people that went to those schools. I don't know people that really went to LaSalle or Drexel or Penn. You know who was a LaSalle guy, at least for, I don't know if it was a semester. I don't know if it was a year, maybe maybe three semesters, maybe four. Was it the Hell, Maniac? I don't, he, I don't even know if he graduated from there. The Maniac? Maniac's LaSalle guy. Wow. And on that note, big LaSalle news. He's coming home, folks. Fran Dunphy hired as the head coach of LaSalle Explorers. Personally, wow. I thought they'd bring Spe- Speedy Morris uh, home and have him coach up the boys, but I guess Fran Dunphy will do. So, you know, restore the glory. There we go. Anything else in the hardwood? We'll we'll keep it moving. Nah, just, you know, an exciting tournament. Uh, great to see. Um you know, I got to tell you, I think the college game is just a more viewable product than the NBA game, particularly the postseason. hundred percent. Just me. You know what I mean? I don't want to argue with the processors, but, you know, I, I, I enjoyed this tournament thoroughly. Yeah, and, I, and I'll wrap with this. I think the great thing is, is like you don't have to watch college basketball season, but once that bracket's set, and that Thursday comes around, like you can lock in for three weeks and watch a ton of exciting basketball. Um, it's as easy as that. I'll leave it at that. But we got Philly's opening day on Friday. Uh, I guess just kind of wanted to get your thoughts, maybe some some expectations quickly here. Uh, I was checking out the sports books just to see kind of where we stand heading into the season, heading into opening day. Uh the Phillies are a minus one twenty favorite to make the playoffs. Uh, I believe they're the third ranked team uh, in the NL East odds, but they're plus three thirty to win the NL East. Uh, and the win total over under sits at eighty five and a half wins. So I don't know if you want to take a stab at any of those, Bomb. 
uh, or if you have any any thoughts here uh, heading into opening day on Friday. Yeah, I'm not going to do any playoff, uh, you know, futures. If you want to sprinkle money on the NL East, go right ahead. Uh, I think that's that's a fair number, right? What was a plus three thirty? Yeah, and I think it was at six hundred before they got Castellanos and Schwarber. The Mets are already dealing with injuries. Degrom yep. is out with uh, an issue with his scap. Um, Scherzer's hurt, so. Yeah, I mean, why, why not? Why not the Phillies? I think you know the Braves obviously lost their heartbeat in Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, obviously they replaced him with a with a banger like Olson. But uh, it's tough. It's tough to repeat. Tough to get back to the playoffs. Um, why not take a flyer on the Phils? As for the total, solidly over five to six wins over. I mean, I'm this is an eighty nine and 90, 91 win team. Wow. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean. I guess I'm just worried about kind of defense and, and pitching and the bullpen. I know the bullpen supposedly is going to be really thin to start the year here, but 85 and a half and, and a minus 120 to make the playoffs, that has me believing a little bit. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I'm buying into the hype. You know, I got a text this morning. Somebody's going down to opening day. Mike, what do you think about the Phillies this year? And I said, well, you know, it all looks good. They built the lineup. They got the bruisers. They got the bats. Um, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if one of these guys is out for the season by June and, uh, Reese Hoskins is hitting 170 midsummer. So it's just, the thing's got to come together, but the, the numbers right now, the, 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 the bats right now and the numbers, the odds look favorable. So, I mean, let's not fuck it up. I'll tell you why, why, why I'm excited about this season and it, you know, all, all these people that came down, they flooded Citizens Bank Park from 2009 to 2012. It was the place to be. Meet me at Ashburn Alley. I'm going to get a Campos cheesesteak and watch a baseball game. It was like the hot ticket. You know what I mean? Every asshole who didn't care about the Phillies ever all of a sudden is there in their favorite player tee after that World Series. And I'm getting a little bit of that vibe now, right? With all these signings and Castellanos and Schwarber and the pictures, the, the photo shoots, the BCIB and the pictures of all, you know, it's here's why I'm excited. It's none of that. I'm not excited for any of that. I'm excited because coming out of spring training, it looks like two young guys are going to break uh, spring training with the big, the big league club, Bryson Stott, Mickey Moniak. Moniac has been killed, I believe, unfairly for many years. The guy was a, a, a high school senior when he got drafted. If you go on his Instagram, and I'm a proponent of going on these athletes' Instagrams, figuring out what they're all about. He's all baseball all the time. The kid is hitting the fucking weights. Look at his biceps. This kid is becoming a man before our eyes. From an 18-year-old senior to, to what he is now, this kid's getting strong. So I think... Gap-to-gap power, he's going to fill a big void. I don't even know why they re-signed Oduble. Stick this guy out in center field. If he goes cold, put Veerling in. But let the let the young kid play. Stott, another guy, right? UNLV guy, played shortstop for them. He's supposedly our shortstop prospect. I'm excited he's breaking, breaking uh, you know, uh, spring training with, with the big club. But there's talk about they're going to put him a third. 
because Bomer isn't doing so hot, and we're going to put Stott at third because he can pick it. At what point will the Phillies organization just bone up and put the young prospect at the position in which they're supposed to be for the next 10 years? You saw this same bullshit with Kingery, where they just moved them around. I mean, he was selling fucking popcorn over in section 143 for like some of these games. And then he comes up to the plate and they're like, why can't he hit? Well, I don't know, because he's got 15 fucking gloves in his locker. Stick the guy at second base and let him fucking play. So I feel that what they did with Kingery and what they've historically done, they tried to do it with Utley when they had Polanco. Can Chase Utley play third base? The guy's a second baseman. What do you mean can he play third base? Like, put Stodd at short. The other two guys in the middle, Segura and Gregorius, they are placeholders. These guys aren't. You're not building your team around these guys. You didn't Stick one of them at third. Stick the other one at second. Let Stott play short. And like I said earlier, a few weeks ago, they're gonna be they're gonna be poor up the middle. But I think with like a young guy like Moniak who's got some speed, Stott, stick him at short, Segura at second. You got real Muto behind the plate. Like that's a better lineup to me. Let let the young guys play. I think the other thing you could do if you move Stott to short, like are you really you're you're definitely not downgrading the defense. Are you really downgrading the offense by by taking Didi out of the lineup and then all the drama with with Alec Baum and sending them down, bringing them up, putting them on the bench, doing this and that. Put them out there for like the first 30 games or 40 games. And the same thing with Stott and, and, and Moniak. Just put them all out there and, and see if they can sink or swim because moving them around, like you said, sending them up, sending them down, play this position, play this position. It, it, it's not doing anything to help the confidence of these young guys. And now that you have the Harpers, the Hoskins, the the Real Mutos, the Schwarbers, Castellanos, like these kids have the protection of these big bats that they don't need to, to, you know, carry the boat on offense. Go out there, do your job on defense and and figure it out at the plate. Take some time. You know, we, we don't need you in April batting 330. Just fucking figure it out and build some confidence. And then if this is a playoff team, these guys have the uh, you know the experience and the games under their belt for the stretch run. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the way this this roster is made up, you really only need one out of three of those guys to pan out like this year. So like if you had Stott at short, Baum at third, and and uh, Moniak in center, like if one out of three of those guys has like a good year, like the Phillies are in good shape. If two out of three of those guys take a step forward and look like what the Phillies thought they would, these guys should be, Phillies are going to be a really tough team to beat. Um, and, and even if they don't, let's say these guys don't have a great year, like there are other options. You can platoon these guys. Uh, Boehm can hit against lefties and play against lefties, and somebody else can play against righties. Same with Moniac. Like same with Stott. I just, I just don't understand why you said it. Like these guys are going to have to sink or swim. So just stick them out there for an extended period of time. Let them get a look. Stop shuffling the deck. Yeah, and I feel like, I feel like, I don't know. Obviously, shortstop and like center field are not not really positions you want like guys platooning and and rotating, right? Like maybe third, maybe third. Usually like a corner outfielder or first base. It, it's more likely to do that. But like these guys are, are prospects for for really big positions and you you can't be plucking them and pulling them and dragging them this way and that way just fucking stick them in there 
and see what happens. Because um, I feel like most of the good teams, the great teams, they have uh, really solid security in those key spots. Yeah, like was was Derek was Derek Jeter like looking for time with Scott Brocious at third? Like, nah, they fucking stuck him at short and won a World Series. That'd be nice. Um, yeah, so Friday, I think it's a three o'clock first pitch. Citizens Bank, they got the Oakland A's coming to town uh, for opening weekend. So, looking forward to it. A um, little optimistic. Who knows? We'll see. the The, the numbers look good. The lineup looks good. We'll see what happens. We'll look forward to it. Uh, but we also got the Masters this weekend. Uh, bi- biggest event in golf of the year. Uh, we just learned today here Tuesday that Tiger Woods is, uh, it sounds like he's giving it a go. It's exciting stuff. Now, I, I do want to ask you this too, Bomb, because I feel like everybody and anybody who's a golf fan, or even if they're not a golf fan, but they're tracking what Tiger's doing, right? Like, Two weeks ago, he was walking at nine holes at Medalist. And then he came to Augusta, you know, over the weekend. It was chipping and putting. And and then Monday, he walked nine holes. Now, I get it. The guy's like the greatest golfer of all time. It's good for the game. Is he? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. But I'm not here to argue that. I'm just here to argue that what, why is all the coverage about Tiger Woods? And everything's about Tiger Woods. I mean, you've got... Scotty Scheffler, who's won, what, three times already this year? Brand new number one, um, you know, American guy. You got Camp Smith, who shot like the 34 under to start the year, then had the amazing performance at the Players' Championship. And all I'm hearing about leading up to this Masters is if Tiger Woods is playing or not. Like, I don't really give a shit if like a pube fell off of Tiger Woods' sack on Amon Corner during a practice round on like Monday or Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm fucking hearing about. And I get it. The guy's great. It's great for the game. Like, you want to see him play. You want to see him healthy. That's great. But we got to stop. It's one stroke fest. Stroke fest, excuse me. One stroke fest after the next. This shit never ends. We went from Coach K, and now Tiger Woods is down at Augusta, Augusta getting his shoes shined. I can't even fucking talk. That's how fired up I am. <laughs> Dude, I... I had no clue you were coming in with this take. I, like, I am I, am I the asshole? Like, no, I feel like, all, oh, could, dude, you don't like Tiger. You don't like Tiger. It, it used to be where like golf was boring unless Tiger was playing. But dude, these young guys that are that are playing now, dude, it's like exciting to watch these guys. I don't know if it's because we're getting older, but like you brought up the Cam Smith thing. Like that tournament was electric with the wind and everything else going on, and then him just like one putting every freaking hole. It was like insane. And yeah, I mean, there's been, has there been any talk about like the defending masters champion? Has there been any talk of that? No, nah, just, just what he made the, uh, the, the dinner meal, his, his dinner choice. Like that's all I've seen about Matsuyama. Yeah. I mean, that was a really cool story when, when he won it. I just, you're right. I mean, obviously it's great. It would be great if Tiger was in contention, but like, this event is bigger, bigger than Tiger Woods. And yeah, he's a five-time winner. Yeah. It's a major. And and if he's able to pull this off, he gets one closer to Jack, but I don't know, man, I I kind of agree with you. Like I'm not any more or less amped up because Tiger's playing like it's, it's another storyline, but for me, I'm tuning in anyway. 
Yeah, that that's exactly how I feel. Like, and I'm trying to think. Like, I was thinking about. Nah, this isn't what I was thinking about. But you made a good point. Like, I'd be jacked for the Masters whether he was playing or not. And he hasn't really played competitive golf. Like, he played the event with his son in what December, and that's really been it. Um, so like, yeah, it'd be cool if he comes out and plays well. And if he comes out and like shits the bed and, and misses the cut, like that's fine too. I'm still going to be jacked up for Saturday and Sunday. Like it's the masters. It's not, it's not Tiger Woods weekend. It's masters weekend. The thing is though, do you think to play devil's advocate here? Do you think that some of this tiger adoration is just due to the fact, I think some of it is due to the fact that he's, I mean, that car crash was, you know, nearly crippled the guy, if not killed him. And what I will say is, if he somehow wins the Masters or is even, like, in the last group or within a shot or two on some bet, like, I think you and I would both agree that that would be an incredible, incredible moment. And it goes from sports fans watching the Masters and golf fans watching the Masters to must-watch TV for, like, the general public. Anybody. No, I I, I totally agree. I, I think if Tiger is, toward, you know, in contention on Sunday, it's it's must-watch TV for anybody. Um, but, you know, as long as it's not a, a, a blowout going into Sunday, I don't care who's, who's in the mix. It's Sunday at the Masters and... You know, it's up for grabs. That's must-watch TV for any golf fan, any sports fan. Agreed. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't mean to get on, on Tiger Woods. I mean, it's an amazing story that he's playing. The thing is, it's to be clear, it's not him. And I think you know that. It's not, yeah, it's, it's not it's, him. It's, no, exactly. It's, it's it's the this new age media, the podcasters, the, you know what I mean? It's like. You know, I don't want to call, call you know call a spade a spade, but I'll call a spade a spade. Like, there's more to golf than Tiger Woods, and like this this guy, like of anyone who needs like a little bit of a can somebody? I always feel bad for the guy. It's like he's coming back from a horrific injury, trying to make like an incredible comeback. Like he probably thinks he's he's going to be like happy to be able to like physically stand after four days. And people are asking him questions. Tiger, uh, you've said in the past that you're only going to play in tournaments that you think you can, you have a chance to win. Is that still true? Like, I get it. You got to do But, like, can somebody lay off the guy? Like, yeah, let's like, go out there and play a tournament. Yeah, get, give it a rest. The people were, were on the Masters website looking for his name under, like, the list of people that were playing or not playing, like, a month ago. Like, j- yeah, just give it a rest. And I, I, heard, I heard another podcast that – was was talking about Tiger and the Masters this week, and they were saying if Tiger Woods didn't play in this Masters, it would be the biggest disappointment ever. Yeah, other than them to their parents, right? <laughs> total, total nonsense. Uh, you got any picks? You you like anybody this weekend? I haven't looked. Uh, I'm reeling from the unloading of the the Carolina clip. Uh, I may uh, if there's. <laughs> If there's a, a a low am prop I can get on, I might take that kid from the, the kid from Carolina, the, the college golfer. I might unload the clip on him. Where where can I get action on Ams? Wow, you're going off the board. 
Yeah, I, I don't have anybody either. I'll probably pick one or two guys, uh, you know, Wednesday night. Put a few shackles down, see what happens. But I, I, I can never hit an outright, but we'll see. It's uh, I feel like every one of these majors and, and big events, it's it's kind of somebody new. Um, so, so we'll look forward to the Masters. Um, you think you you know who I want to see win is Rom. I I love John Rom. Yeah, John Rom's great. He's kind of I I don't want to say he's fallen off this year, but you know he was really dominating last year. And he was uh, cooking like coming out of COVID. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, totally unreal. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't hate that. Uh, I wouldn't hate seeing Cam Smith win. I wouldn't hate seeing like Morikawa go off. I, I like Colin Morikawa. Um, you know, he's another controversial figure, but Jordan Spieth has played well at the masters, uh, historically, and he could use a win. So yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. It's always, it's always somebody you're not expecting. I feel like I'll tell you who I don't want to see win it. Who's that? Kepka. You're, you're done with Brooksy? I, don't, I just, I don't know, man. I mean, he's just like, it's just like the wrong course. I feel like, like yeah. I just don't, I don't want to see him put on the green jacket. He totally boned me at the players. I mean, I know the weather and everything, but he, he didn't give me, he didn't give my bat a shot into the weekend. So I'm not he pulling for him. Dunking balls into the water. Yeah. He doesn't feel like a master's he, guy. No, he's a U.S. Open guy. Yeah. So, anything else in the Masters? No, sir. Um, the Eagles trade yesterday. Is it Howie season? We're hashtag, shuffle. Hashtag Howie season. Where Howie S Z N? Is it Howie season? We're shuffling picks. Um, I, I'm not going to give the whole rundown of what happened. No. Eagles have one less first rounder this year. They have an extra first rounder next year and then an extra second rounder in 24, I want to say. Um, yep. I, I don't have an issue with the move. You know, we've already talked about it. I don't have an issue with the move. I'll let you kind of give your perspective uh, of the flexibility and, and the opportunities that this move might provide down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the obvious, I'm stating the obvious here, but this is Howie Roseman securing an insurance policy at the most important position of football quarterback and we know that that this that this draft isn't deep um so why not take one of the picks get a pick next year and if hurts takes a step back or doesn't take a step forward if he stays the same uh look for the eagles to make a move at qb i mean i think they'd they'd be more than willing to take those two picks some other assets and 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 move up so i love the move i think it gives them optionality heading into next year depending upon how Hurts plays. Yeah, totally agree. I like the move. Um, I just don't want to see the posts on social media of Howie with the binoculars. I don't want to hear about how it's Howie season and and this and that. I mean, it's April. We're reshuffling picks. Uh, we didn't win anything. Uh, so let's, let's give the guy a pat on the back for, for – the flexibility it provides and the opportunities it might provide down the road. And then let's just move the fuck on. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm I don't, not I don't need Eagles edits two one five to, you know, Photoshop Howie Roseman in a different suit tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, yep. come on. Yep. No, I, it, that wasn't really at you, but it was at the, the, how some of our Howie honks out there. <laughs> Good move. Well, Let's move. I on. do want to address. There was a Howie. 
there was a Howie question uh, last week. Last, uh, last episode from one of our loyal listeners. So Howie makes this move. Howie did a similar move last year, mid-draft. Was ended up getting he got one of these picks because he moved back and got Devontae Smith. The Eagles have the seventh most seventh seventh most cap cap space in the NFL. Um, at what point, you know, you talk about the Howie honks. I agree, there are Howie honks. But at what point will the Howie haters say, "Yeah, maybe we're evaluating him on like a couple picks"? And when we look at the whole picture, the cap space, the uh, optionality heading into next year, the ability to wriggle out of the Wentz deal. Uh, delivering a Super Bowl, like at what point will people say, you know what, maybe, maybe he's not the greatest, but maybe he's also not the worst. Like he's the best GM in the city, which I know isn't saying much, but like I feel like everybody wants to have his feet to the fire when there's three other franchises that they should be doing that for. No, I, I hear that. I think uh, part of it for me w- w- was that you know we had three culprits after that four and twelve season, right? Uh, and who was the only guy that stuck? Howie. We got rid of Doug, who won us the Super Bowl. We got rid of Wentz, which obviously we needed to do. Yeah, but uh, I think that was Wentz. That was Wentz orchestrating that, and then he pulled the cord. And then yeah. Howie pulled the cord on, on Wentz. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was Wentz saying, "Oh, I don't want to be. I don't want to play for Sirianni." I think they tried to do everything they could to like give him a pacifier and mix him up a warm bottle, but the guy like continued to cry. So, so then can you really give Howie the credit for getting rid of Wentz if you oh, try to give him the warm bottle? Well, if if the guy's begging for a warm bottle and the parent knows a warm bottle's coming and you're still able to secure a bag for the warm bottle, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I think you got to give Howie the credit. You know what I mean? Throw Howie's face right on the fucking Gerber's label, baby. <laughs> the, 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 the other thing I can't stand about Howie and like, I think he's had a few drafts that, that obviously underwhelmed. And sure, everybody misses picks, everybody hits picks, whatever. But the other thing that really rubbed me the wrong way, and I'll say I'll say this about Jeffrey Lurie too, because it was the two of them after that debacle of a year uh, that was Wentz and Doug's final year. But they came out after that season and, and tried to tell us all that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that you can't see and this and that. And, and meanwhile, we're getting those like athletic reports of the terrible, toxic culture in the front office and all this stuff. And, and they come out, the arrogant pricks that they are, and, and tell us that we don't know what we're looking at and we don't know what we're watching. We just watched a complete waste of a season. And they they have the arrogance to come out and try to tell the Philly fans that, that they don't know what's going on. There's more than what meets the eye. Like, that's what that's what I can't fucking stand. Well, let me play devil's advocate. Maybe there is more than meets the eye. So you remember through all the Doug years. Do we have Optimus Prime coming up on the roster this year? <laughs> you remember through all the Doug years, that team was so injured. They were like the most injured team in football year after year after year. And it was next guy up. They were hiring like cornerbacks out of Best Buy uh, to come play corner. Um, Bosby, remember Bosby, Davante Bosby. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy getting toasted? Bosby. He literally like ro- rolled off from like the street, and he's like playing corner for the Eagles. Um, 
No, but I I digress. I just think like some of that stuff, like you know, if they said that, like there's some stuff going on behind the scenes. I think maybe getting back to or like doing a deeper dive into like sports science, like when Chip was here. Um, I think they're still doing some of the things Chip had doing off the field. But like, look at what Sirianni did with training camp. Like, yeah, they didn't look super sharp at the beginning of the year, but when playoff time came around, the team was healthy for the most part compared to what we've seen in previous years. So, like, the problem is with Lurie and Roseman, they come off so, like, as such arrogant pricks. And they always talk to you from the standpoint, or at least it comes across, that they're, like, talking down to the fans. And, like, I really feel like both of those guys would be well served by, like, taking, like, some sort of a public speaking class on, like, empathy or, like, being able to connect with, like, your audience. Because, like, if I'm Howie Roseman and I know some of the things are going on behind the scenes, like, you can point to, like, things like injuries and talk about that and say, like, look, we we are spending a lot of money and we're investing in trying to find ways to make sure that the guys we're paying money to are on the field in the most important games of the year. Like, I think everyone would agree that's important as a fan, as a, as, as a, an employee of the Eagles, et cetera. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what they meant, but it's something that stood out this year when you look at Doug's era and the first year of Sirianni. Yeah, sure. No, so I, I wouldn't say that I, I can be a complete Howie hater. Like, I don't think that's fair. I, I recognize the things that he's done well with the, the re, restructure of the cap. You know, he restructures deals. Uh, he's shuffling around these picks. Obviously, we're going to have another year at Hertz. And then, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll have the ammo to, to make something happen if need be, which is like all good stuff. But I, I just can't forgive a guy that's completely arrogant and has some of the worst gaffes uh, in, in recent draft history where there's video of other front offices laughing out loud at this fucking guy. Like, you're a joke, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. At the same time, like I don't need I don't I don't look to other front offices to like validate, you know what I mean? Because like who the fuck are the Minnesota Vikings? Yeah, it was also a team we 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 blasted in the yeah. NFC title game. Like Mike Zimmer is fucking laughing in his cabin. Come on, pal, you were you were trotting out that stiff at quarterback who threw it up to P. Rob and housed it. Get the fuck out of here. That's one of my favorite plays as a Philadelphia fan was that P. Rob pick six. But um, spe- speaking of other people. Or uh, characters in the in this city, you know, saying things that that don't sit well with me. Uh, Monday, I I was perusing the web, uh, the socials, and I'm seeing news about uh, Billy Lang, former Sixers assistant, current St. Joe's head coach, uh, talking about Joel Embiid and his his sons playing Madden with Joel Embiid. Um, so Joel Embiid apparently would, would go over to Billy Lang's house and play PlayStation and play Madden with his sons and beat the brakes off of them by 90 or a hundred points. Uh, so I guess that's like another win, uh, on the interweb for Embiid. Um, but meanwhile, the same day, uh, I see quotes from Joel Embiid about the MVP race. And, and I believe he's dropped out from being the favorite uh, for NBA MVP this season. And I, I guess he got some sort of question on how he feels about the race. And he was griping about the voters saying, I guess they just don't love me. 
uh, or, or they don't think highly of me, or I'm paraphrasing here. I don't know what the exact quote was, but he was griping uh, with, with the supposed MVP voters uh, and how they vote. And that that just doesn't sit well with me. You know, you're you're in the midst of a playoff run. Uh, you just got James Harden, apparently supposed to be a piece that's going to put us over the top or at least put us past the second round, for Christ's sake. And this guy's whining about the MVP race saying, oh, you know, they, they won't vote for me. Well, like, we haven't looked that good in any big spots lately. You think about the Nets game. You think about the end of the Suns, the end of the Bucks. Um I mean, they, they haven't been, you know, crisp. They lost to the freaking Pistons. Uh, what do we have, four or five games left to the playoffs? I mean, the easy answer and the answer to please the fans is I'm not worried about individual accolades. I'm focused on going on a playoff run here and trying to bring a championship to the city. Not bitching about, oh, they're not going to vote for me. They They must not like me. Like, what kind of attitude is that? It, it shouldn't even be a thought. Here's here's another spin zone I'll give you. Are you an MVP if a team has to go out and trade for James Harden? I mean, I thought a guy like I thought this guy would be able to carry a team. Like I thought Joel Embiid could carry. Dude, they they stink. This team stinks. I've said it from Jump Street. This wasn't going to work. When does he pull eject? I mean, it's a fair question. And, and back to like the MV, the whole MVP thing, like, does anybody really care if he wins MVP? Like, did anybody think. feel any better about the Phillies season last year because Bryce Harper won MVP? Did you get to kick your feet up and crack a beer on a cool night in October and watch the Phillies in the playoffs because Bryce Harper won MVP? No, you fucking didn't. Like, so I, I I can't call you a real fan if you're really concerned about Embiid winning MVP. I'm I'm concerned about this team making a run. I don't think it's going to happen after what we've seen since the Harden deal. Um, but I don't want to hear stuff about MVP when we haven't won any big games down the stretch here. The last MVP that I cared about was 2007. You know where I'm going with this? No, I don't. Jimmy Rollins, when he had gonna, like that's what I was gonna say, actually. What it was it like twenty doubles, twenty triples, twenty homers, like all these RBIs, you know, played out of his mind defense, led them to their first playoffs in however many years. I think since like ninety three, right? Um like him, like he put that team on his back. Now, granted, Otley played phenomenal too. Howard played great, but like J-Roll, when you looked up at the end of the year and you looked at like the statistics, you're like, this guy's like unbelievable. And he's playing shortstop and he's playing gold glove, gold glove caliber defense for this team that like has never gotten over the hump. Like that feels like an MVP to me. What doesn't feel like an MVP to me is a guy who gets sick during playoff series, a guy who's out of shape during playoff series and can only play 30 minutes, a guy who uh, is on a team and another player quits, doesn't show up for work. Then you got to trade for this other guy. A guy who is more concerned, again, I got to come back to it, with internet memes and trolling people on the internet. That doesn't feel like an MVP. Yeah, and what, what was the little picture they posted with, like, the quotes about him playing Madden? Fuck yo kids. Fuck yo kids or some shit. Like, th- this, I, I just want to see the guy win for the Sixers in the playoffs. That's it. 
Is that too much to ask? I think he's a great player. I really do. And I think the shit's funny, but like some of it's way too over the top and bitching about the MVP race is just not a good look when, when you haven't gotten out of the second round, get me to the conference finals, get, get me to the NBA finals. Like let's make some progress as a team before we worry about individual accolades or better yet, like put this in your, put, put, put this perceived slight in your fucking brain Bring home a championship. And when Lisa Salters comes up to you on the sideline after the after the ch- the chip with the confetti coming down, you drop every F bomb in on the world and you just say, All oh, you mother effers that didn't vote for me for MVP, I don't give a shit because I'm hoisting this thing and jam it right in everybody's face. But no, we're bitching about it in like early April. You hit the nail on the head, dude. I got nothing to add. Do you think MB- – here's the only thing I'll add. <laughs> Do you think the MVP'd billboards on I-95 are helping or hurting Joel Embiid's candidacy? I think they're hurting somebody's wallet, whoever the hell's paying for them, that's for sure. Oh, gosh. MVP'd, Captain G. We got all the billboards for guys that – Never win. Don't get it done. Oh, well, I'll close this down. Uh, you, you don't have anything else, do you? Nah, I mean, let's en- let's enjoy the golf. Let's enjoy the, you know, the Phillies baseball back. I think you and I are teeing it up Friday morning uh, before opening day. Maybe we'll uh, we'll get a little something going. Maybe, maybe give a little content out to the people uh, while they're schlepping through a Friday. I mean, you were teeing it up, but. No, that's it. I mean, everybody enjoy opening day. Enjoy the Masters. Enjoy the week. Uh, thank you for listening. We we truly do appreciate it. Uh, wherever you're listening, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, throw us that five-star rating. And we'll say thank you to our sponsor, Shamrock Sun and Menard Premium Detailing. We will talk to everybody again next week. So take care. <laughs>